Jeff, it is Friday night. It is 8.36 p.m. where I am at. It is 9.36 p.m. where you are at. Yeah. Um, your wife had a dream last night, so you are in the doghouse. Yeah, and so that's probably why you are free on this Friday evening, that asking is. me to record as a... Uh, is I I don't even know I think we were we were probably going to watch something we're going to watch something on Netflix probably find a stand-up special I need to watch uh our uh favorite Andrew Schultz he had his stand-up specials released yeah I don't did you hear about what happened with that no so he had like he recorded his stand-up thing or like clips whatever shopped it around to all the streaming services went under contract with Amazon to buy it so it was going to be available on Prime Video Amazon said, well, you need to cut like this joke out and this joke out. Like they're too, like, uh, if you've ever listened to Andrew Scholes, he is extremely right. vulgar one, but he is like, he is the most, uh, how do I say this? He is the most, um, educatedly offensive person. Yes that you will ever listen he, like it's like he, he makes is fun the, of people but it's like he knows the nuance and he has like legitimately like talked to people and like understand like it's like he, he talked he does not make fun of somebody unless he understands like the ins and outs of that like culture that he, re region that religion like he, he's the he's the south park writers of stand-up like if you think of south park now it's a different type of comedy yeah. but south park like when South Park mocks somebody, it's researched, it's thought out. And it also kind of resonates with like the actual, sometimes like- The stereotype. Know, exaggerated stereotypes, but the, the stereotypes are there. Like they know what they're talking about. Andrew Soltz is the same way. Like he's incredibly educated. And, and I also think that, and this is the reason I like him so much is, he is, and this is kind of the South Park in him too, right? Like he's an equal opportunity offender. Like he will just say something that's Nobody funny is safe. and he will call out what he thinks is stupid, regardless of religion, political belief, whatever. He just says what he thinks. And I like that. Yeah. So Amazon tried to get him to cut some stuff out and he said, no, I'm not going to do that. So he took a bunch of his money and he bought his special back from Amazon I don't know how much he had to buy it back from him for. Wow. And then he self like released it and he just started posting on TikTok. was like, Hey, this is what happened. I bought it back. You can go buy like a lifetime license to watch it as much as you want for like 15 bucks on my website, whatever. And then stream it through my service, whatever other private hosted thing. And he made a million dollars in a week and he got more from doing it that way than he ever did from Amazon. Well, Which is interesting because his initial thing on, like he built his initial following through YouTube because he was like trying to shop a stand-up special and it wasn't getting picked up. And then he was like, well, what if I just break it up into like two minute clips and try to make viral clips on YouTube and basically just do like one every two days. Like I will just break this, I will release this over the course of a month by putting every joke in a two minute clip. And so, and like that's, and that's what he started doing. And so that's like how he initially built his following. Um, but you can, yeah, if you scroll, he, he's funny. He's he funny. very funny. And if it is can, like, if you can handle the uh, not safe for work language, he's funny. Yeah. It's like, it's not safe for work. Like it is so vulgar. I like don't listen. Like if your grandma is in an urn on the mantle, 
yeah. don't watch it because it will probably cause her to come back to life to beat you because it's so vulgar. Yeah, but it's funny. So. It is very funny. And it is, and it's interesting because he always like cuts back to like, no, like I'm joking, but for real, it's like, you guys do this and it's awesome. Or like, whatever, like it's no, like I had a friend who was like grew up growing up and he was like this because he grew up in like the Bronx, like, or like he grew up in New York City. So he like, this was around everybody. Yeah. It's not like he's just some, like it's very not yeah. just a guy yeah yeah like he's not like one of those guy, other people where it's like oh i grew up in the midwest so i only make fun of midwestern things and all the people like i have a very niche audience is like no dude everything's on the table um yeah. so I didn't, I didn't watch that but it is friday night we are here recording because we were asked to and people begged for this and there was some there was actual news today so we Big can just ju jump right into that Big uh, news. Jackson Bowers of the Mountain View Toros. Friend of the program, Jackson friend of, friend of the program, Jackson Bowers. Actually, I found uh, one of my mission companions is like in his ward. Ah. And is on, well, he, he's on the, the JV coaching staff at Mountain View. Um, but I was talking to him about I Jackson the other day. I don't think Jackson Bowers played a lot of JV. No, he did not. Um, no. But Mountain View, I don't even know how many, uh, how many, BYU guys have come from Mountain View. Uh, more than one. It, it is definitely a lot. Um, There's been quite a few. Jackson Bowers is a big deal, though, folks. Jackson Bowers, if you don't know, so so here's the one thing about Jackson Bowers. I have no idea how much he weighs because when he was getting verified at like all the camps or whatever, it was like, well, I, I guess this was last year. He was like 220, 225. He says he's 245. The truth is probably somewhere in the middle at this point. It's been a year since, you know, any of those camp circuits went out. So somewhere in the ballpark of 235 to 245. He's a big dude. I, I was trying to think who to compare him to. He compares himself. He models his game after, like after George Kittle. And, and it's hard to compare high school kids to NFL players. And so I was trying to find like a BYU comparison. Uh, everybody's going to go to like the big four tight ends, right? He is not Johnny Harleen and he is not Dennis Pitta. He's not. He's not right. that, that receiving first tight end. But he's not Andrew George either. And he's not really Dan Coates. I mean, maybe a little bit Dan Coates, but like he's a better receiver than Andrew George was. He's and I don't know if a, he's more of a complete package than. Yeah, he's he's like it's like I, I used this comparison on our Discord server today. He reminds me a little like of Kane Friel, but with like a way higher ceiling. But he plays the game a lot like Kane did. That like he could block and he could get into people, but he could also get into space and and make a play. You know, like right. people remember when he kind of burst onto the scene for that four or five games, and then got hurt and kind of fell off the radar after that. But for those few games, it was like, oh, okay, Kane Friel's the, the next guy. He, yeah, and he, and I kind of felt like with him, like Kane was not, he was not the, a football guy. Like he didn't have a mean streak in him. And you posted right. this, you scored that. Jackson told you that his favorite part about playing football was actually blocking and putting someone on his back and then laughing in his face as you help yeah. him up, knowing you're going to do the same thing the next play. Yeah, dude, the guy's crazy. If you go and to that, his and that's huddle, not that is not someone just to read it. Like that is not someone describing like, oh, that's like his personnel. Like that is word for word what he told you 
what yeah. his own personal favorite thing about the game was. He told me that he has some psycho in him. Like those are his words that he's got some psycho in him that like the dude just likes to play football. He's a football guy. Like to steal a part of my take, a part of my take phrase. He's a football guy. Like he's the kind you of guy football guys. that's going to like knock his teeth out. He's going to be missing a foot and he's still going to show up and be like, Hey coach, put me in. Like he's a football guy. He's a throwback football guy. Now I, I, I want people to look at some George Kittle highlights and, and specifically when George Kittle gets the ball in space. And I think this is what separates, you know, obviously George Kittle, but guys like Jackson Bowers from a guy like Andrew George, who was great, who played in the NFL too. Right. But when you look at Kittle in space, like, no, he's not a receiver that he's able to just get open against anybody, but when the route enables him to get open and he has an opportunity to do something after the catch, George Kittle runs like a deer. Like he is, he's fast, he's big. And, and, and he's, he's long. It, it, it looks different when George Kittle is running. It looks different than even a guy like Travis Kelsey, right? Like Travis Kelsey looks like a big wide receiver. George Kittle looks like a tight end that is athletic. And, and that's a weird difference, but there's a difference there. And that's what Jackson Bowers has. He's a, he's a, he can catch the ball. Like people are going to look at him and Walker Lyons, who I think we'll talk about in a second and, and say, well, Jackson's the blocker. Walker would be the catcher, right? Jackson had 47 catches last year for 860 some odd yards, 11 touchdowns. Like he's no scrub. And, right. and he's got Blair Angulo has talked about it a bunch over the last couple of days that his hand-eye coordination is great, which seems really stupid. Like it feels like a baseball term. Like you don't really talk about hand-eye coordination when you're talking about pass catchers. You're really talking about their hands most of the time. But Bowers has this weird, weird ability to like make catches away from his body. He makes up the difference for a lot of quarterback mistakes. And he's big enough that even if that ball is thrown behind him or into traffic, because of this weird hand-eye coordination that he's got he and his size, he can go make plays that are normally getting broken up or even picked off. And, and it's intriguing. It's very intriguing. But he's going to make hay as a blocker. His favorite thing, this is my favorite part. Uh, my favorite part about his junior season highlights. So you click the link, the highlights come up, and he gives you like 47 catches, 867 yards. And then the third bullet point just says a lot of pancakes. That's it. Like, and Football then you watch, you, watch his, you watch his highlights, and it is. It's just a lot of pancakes. I think uh, I, for anybody who wants to go look, I think it's at like the 57, 58 second mark. There's a play that he is, he gets into the flat and then he gets into the second level. It looks like, I, I can't remember what the play was, if it's a running play or if it's like a little bubble screen or something, but he's a blocker and he gets into the second level and it's either a safety or a linebacker. I can't remember off the top of my head, but he blocks them from like between the hash and the sideline. He blocks them through the sideline through where the team would be and nearly onto the track and just pummels this guy into the ground. Yeah. Like I'm, it, I'm pulling it up right now. And it does say it's like 47 catches, 11 games, a lot of pancakes. Yeah. Um, okay. So the, um, it's, it's like the 56 something second mark, 58 second mark. Yeah, so the first there. highlight was a catch. The second highlight was also a catch where he goes. And then let's see. Oh, he's in line. So yes, this is where, yeah, it is like the 50, 
second mark and the guy he pancakes him behind the other team's bench yeah it looks like a highlight from the blind side like he's just blocking until somebody stops him and that is who jackson bowers is like he is a freak and i had a conversation today after he committed with some folks uh even with isaac rex potentially coming back next year i would say even probably coming back next year even with dallin holker probably coming back next year uh, Jackson Bowers will push for playing time right away. He also, uh, something I noticed, and I don't know if you caught this in his commitment, is that he said, well, I will play for the next three to four years. Like yeah, he, he has the mindset of like, he ain't going to play school. He's going to play football. And you know, uh, That's funny that you bring that up. Because I, I asked him when he was on the show, people might remember. I asked him specifically, hey, like academics, he's like, well, academics is important, but I'm going to play college football because I love football. Football is why I'm what I'm playing. Football is the decision. Everything about it is football. Academics are nice to have. Like as a parent, that's maybe not the answer you want to hear. As a football fan, hell yeah, that's the answer you want to hear. This guy is a football guy. And and I he has this mindset, man, and I just wouldn't bet against him. You know, there's still a lot of things that have to happen before a guy can make it to the league. You got to stay healthy. You've got to have a good quarterback. Like, there, there's a lot of things that are going to have to happen before today and Jackson Bowers going to the NFL. But I wouldn't bet against this guy. The odds are still stacked against him. The odds are stacked against anybody. But I wouldn't bet against this guy. He's got, he's got the right mindset to make it into the league. Uh, and BYU won a hat ceremony today, folks. A hat ceremony with Alabama, Auburn, Old Miss, Oregon. There are a bunch of big-time hats sitting on that, that, that table at his school. And BYU won. He wants to be at BYU. He could have played at literally anywhere. And he wants to be at BYU. Uh, Walker Lions, we have to talk about Walker Lions. Walker Lions is trending towards Stanford. Let's just call it what it is. And, and even today, people have asked me about Walker Lyons. And, and, and him going to Stanford maybe overshadows some of Jackson coming to, to BYU. I, I think Walker Lyons is elite. I think he's going to be a very good receiving tight end. If I had to pick one of those two players, I would pick Jackson Bowers. I've said this pretty consistently. This isn't just sour grapes, Jeff, and the, you know, BYU no, you, got this one. You have been saying this for a long time. I've said this pretty consistently for several months. Uh, for a couple of reasons. One, Jackson Bowers will be on campus next fall. Walker Lyons has taken a mission. Great, happy, hope he serves great, hope he loves it. I loved my mission. I want, you know, everybody to go on missions. But as athletes on missions, it's tough. And if I'm a football coach, I want the guy who's going to play right away. Okay, so that's that's first and foremost. Second, I want that attitude on my football team. And, and I think Walker Lyons could be great. He could also have a very great career and, and make it to the NFL. I, I think that BYU needs more Jackson Bowers. Uh, that isn't even to say anything about who they are as players. It's that Jackson, Blau Jackson Bowers brings a kind of mindset to the game that BYU doesn't get all the time. He is bringing a level of psycho to the football team and he's going to be an emotional leader uh you look at his highlights you watch mountain View play as a junior on the varsity team he was the unquestioned leader on that team like he leads people out of the tunnel like he he get not the tunnel whatever they call it in high school yeah, like you know, the onto the field thingy 
And, and, and he's that guy. Like, he is that guy. And so Jackson Bowers is, I think, a better fit for BYU. Uh, maybe not a better fit. He is a more unique, more important, more rare uh, personality and skill set than, than Walker Lyons is. Walker Lyons is an elite tight end who's going to catch a lot of balls wherever he goes. Uh, but Jackson Bowers is going to be the kind of guy that can take an offense that's going to have its own, you know, a ton of weapons and help channel all of that together and just be a freak of nature. Um, one thing I didn't, so I just went on uh, Cougar stats to look at this because obviously most people remember that Max Hall and John Beck both played at Mountain View. Fun fact, Jackson Bowers will be the tiebreaker between Mountain View High School in Mesa, Arizona and Mountain ah. View High School in Orem for most players from a Mountain View. It, so <laughs> so he will be the 12th player from Mountain View who's gone. And, uh, and he may not be the only person on his team. So his high school, the head coach at Mountain View now is Joe Germain, who also played there, went on a mission. I think he went to NAU, then transferred to a JC and then took Ohio State to a Rose Bowl. Yeah. Um, and then played a little bit in the NFL and the arena league. So Joe Germain is the head coach and his son, Jack is, was a sophomore last year completed. Let me look at through for 2,400 yards, 23 touchdowns, no interception, zero interceptions completed 70% of his passes starting for the Toros as a sophomore. Yeah, so that's no, that's no scrub. No, that is no scrub. And so that is somebody to keep an eye on as a high profile LDS quarterback for the There's class a of, lot of them. What class would that be even then? Because what, that, if he that, was a sophomore, 20, he's 24. Yeah, that's, so that's the Isaac Wilson class. That's the TC Manu Malayuna class. That's the uh, Lance Reynolds class. I mean, yeah, uh, even even if it's not Isaac Wilson there, that's probably the most, I think that's the most stacked LDS quarterback class that I can think of. That, that, LDS, that LDS quarterback class looks a lot like the LDS tight end class. Of, of this year yeah where because we had oh what, there, there's I, will hammond is out there too like he's a 24 guy there's a bunch there's some players there's some really good players so i don't think yeah i don't think we will be hurting for a while and also will hammond i haven't thought about that kid in a while i mean because he's he's from texas so he's not he's not yeah. in the normal footprint of you maybe know that becomes, that looking at. maybe that becomes the normal footprint also in, in, in light of the positive recruiting momentum, I have uh, – this is breaking news. It's not breaking news. I How mean, it's not, break, it's not breaking news like it's imminent. But I promise you, I'm the only person who knows it right now among BYU World. So okay. I'm breaking the news, but it's not like anything's going to happen tomorrow. But you mentioned Texas. Isaiah Kemma is a guy that we haven't really talked about a whole lot. Big offensive lineman out of Texas. I think his dad actually teaches at Texas Tech or something like that. Uh, but LDS dude, he's going to take an official to BYU. He told me just this morning that he is planning on getting out to BYU. Coach Funk loves him. High three-star guy, number of P5 offers. Uh, we don't talk about him, but yeah, he got, is. He's an 88, almost. Yeah, like, he's, uh, he's, he's a lot 80, like. He's, he's a borderline four-star guy. He's a on, lot like Ethan Thomason in terms of yeah. profile. Like he's right yeah. there. And he's got so, his offer list, Air Force, Arizona, Yukon, Hawaii, Houston, Illinois, Louisiana Tech, SMU, Texas Tech, Troy, Utah State. Um, so he's he's got a He can handle. play. He can play. There's there's a lot of people who get paid to find kids that can play football that think he can play football. 
yeah, and he's hearing from a bunch of a bunch more as well. Uh, kind of a fun recruiting time, even if Walker Lions, you know, Hunter Clegg went to Stanford. If Walker Lions goes with him, uh, BYU's still in the mix for CJ Jacobson out of Idaho. Uh, Matthew Frederick out of East High School. Nobody talks about it because East High School has thrown like 11 passes in the last decade of football. So nobody's looking at tight ends at East High School. But Matthew Frederick can ball. Like he can ball. Uh, he is so impressive that our guy Blair, he gave him an 86 rating, even though he's only really got like a BYU and an Idaho offer. Um, that's that's tough for a guy like Blair to do. He doesn't do that all the time, although he's done it a, a few times in the last few classes. Uh, he saw him at a camp two, three weeks ago, something like that. And uh, he really, really impressed. Matthew Frederick can ball. And, and if he was, a, he's a big kid. I mean, similar frame. He's got that same build of like six, five, two thirty, where it's like, he's yeah, athletic he's enough to, if he stays the same size where he's at work, he's athletic enough to get split out similar to like, you know, the Dennis Pitta, Johnny Harleen, Dallin Holker type usage, or he could put on 60 pounds and become a defensive end. Like yeah, he, he's, you know, he, He's a stud, he's, man. I mean, if it like Walker, he's not Walker Lions. That's not what anybody's trying to say. But if BYU ends up with a two tight end duo of Jackson Bowers and Matthew Frederick, that's the best tight end recruiting class that I, in my lifetime, that I can remember, you know, since yeah. I've started paying attention. Those are two. That's a high three star guy and a bona fide four star guy. That's, that's impressive. And it's one of those things that's interesting too, where, because you have long said around Lions. So obviously, Lions plays at, um, like where's he he's from Folsom like so Folsom, he's playing yeah. he's playing in Northern California that's a very heavily recruited area that's where um he's got like a name? dozen guys on what, who who was the quarterback that went to Jake Browning right the quarterback that went yeah. to Washington that took him yep. to the playoff but like he has set the national record for passing yards and touchdowns in a career or whatever and then like now his um so like that was that's the same high school at Folsom um, so very, very heavily recruited compared to Matthew Frederick at East, which is kind of like Keanu Hill coming out of Ulysses when he signed with BYU, right? It's like Ulysses was similar to East of like, yeah, they go to the playoffs every year and they churn running backs and linemen, but they haven't even had a quarterback who could throw more than 12 yards in the last 15 years. Um, and then same thing with CJ Jacobson, like there's just not a lot of talent, even, I mean, there will be more because Boise is a growing area, but they're the there's just not a lot of talent in the state of Idaho. And so it is overlooked in recruiting. It is, there are, if you are going to find a diamond in the rough, it's going to be a kid like Matthew Frederick at a school like East or a kid like CJ Jacobson coming out of high school more than we found this kid sitting in LA that somehow everybody missed when everyone's looking there, you know, watching all of his teammates, like he's the one that everyone missed. Right. Yeah, so lots of potential still for this BYU class. We are, we're not even talking about the CLA Aceras and the, the Spencer Fanos and Smith Snowdens, like all of those guys, BYU still firmly in the mix for. Uh, CLA Acera, I think that, so he and I have talked a little bit, but he's a pretty quiet kid. We don't talk very much, but he sent me like a random out of the blue happy 4th of July gift on the 4th of July. Like it was you know, very nice. I, I didn't know what to do with it. I just was like, hey, thanks, man. But like, thought that was weird. I don't know what to read into that. USA, baby. The, yeah. I mean, it's interesting too, because even Ciala, like the, he's one of the names that people, BYU fans who follow recruiting, 
Um, he's probably, you know, way up on the list of guys that like we have to get, right. Cause he's, he's a four-star kid out of Tim view. Like we have to get him. but even 24 seven, they have him like Matthew Fredericks in 86. They have the Sarah's in 87. Like they, yeah. they're saying, you know, they're, you know, in terms of their talent, close. they're close. And so, yeah, but it's and like I, you and said, I no one's talking about. I think that's accurate. Right. Like, I think, I mean, in terms of how good Matt, it's not a slight about Ciela and Sarah 87 is very good. Yes. It's that Matt Frederick can ball. Like he can ball when he got offered. I didn't know who he was kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, so I reached out to a few people who know him, um, people that I know at East people that I know who were at camp and, and they all said the same thing. Like, yeah, dude, this, this guy, if he was at an offense that, pass the ball even a little bit people would be talking about Matthew Frederick he can play um speaking of of Matthew Frederick because I was just pulling up his uh pulling up his huddle like so I'm looking at his highlights dude go watch his huddle he just needs some needs some love his junior film only has 285 views and you're probably at least 30 of those (laughs) probably over and over he also (laughs) He also has a video up that, I mean, he plays on their rugby team as well. So it's, that's always, especially when you see a dual sport athlete, like it's always good when you see somebody who plays and excels in multiple sports. Um, yeah, that is weird. Versus just and it's being hyper-focused. But yeah, he can, if you, even if you look at him, actually, is it, watch it, like he is his build and the thing, like he's very similar to Bowers. Yeah. And, and what he looks like, just kind of that prototype modern tight end in terms of his build. And so it'll be interesting to see. Well, I think obviously we were the first to offer, um, staying close to home. Like he will be very interested in coming to Provo. Um, but it's it'll be interesting. He, to he see grew up. He grew up a does. BYU guy. I mean, he grew up a BYU guy. I I honestly think that at this point, Walker Lions would take that spot. So everybody's kind of holding off on a, on a commitment or pushing for a commitment for Matthew Frederick. If, and when Walker goes to Stanford here in the next you know few weeks, uh, then I think you would very quickly see BYU turn all of their attention to, to Matthew Frederick. So, yeah. Um, I have so, something weird, something weird for you, Garrett. Okay. Fall camp is in like nine days. Dude, I don't, I, yeah, that's like, this off season is so long. It's been so long, but it, this is, I'm going to, I am going to kind of, I'm going to rehash maybe, well, maybe a bad memory. Of, so once upon a time in December, before you played a bowl game and it was Oof. an ugly bowl in Shreveport, Louisiana. Yeah. I looking wrote a poem. Back, looking back on that, so I've seen, I have legitimately seen people say that that was like one of the most embarrassing losses in program history because, which is. UA, UAB was good. Let's, let's right. not. And that's what, and I remember us saying this time, it's like, you can't look over them, but also you can't just look down and be like, oh, they lost to an ass conference USA program. It's like, okay, don't, do not be that guy because for 50 freaking years, that's what we have said that no one yeah. ever gave us the credit because of who we were stuck with and we will go toe to toe with anybody and we will play you and we can beat you and we don't care whatever. But then now you'll be like, Oh, well, there's stupid conferences. And I'm like, screw the conference, give each team their due and whether they should be looked at, whether they're good. And also something about blonde, we lost by field goal. 
in a crappy well, game when no one wanted to be there, and bowls are weird like that anyway. And it was um, raining. It was a freaking monsoon. And yeah, BYU should have won, but UAB was good. Like, let's not act like the Utah fan who watched their team lose to San Diego State and is like, ah, we went to the Rose Bowl, though. We should have won. Ah! Like, hey, yeah. You lost to San Diego State, guys, and they beat you at every turn. You lost to BYU the week before. Like, let's not be that guy. UAB beat BYU, period. But yeah. that was a good team. That was a good football team. It was a good football team. And they – so interestingly enough, though, is that game – and I still see people like, oh, that game was so embarrassing. This is like nobody remembers. No. Like people, the only thing that people will probably remember about BYU, like nationally from 2021, is if you were on Twitter or Twitter user and you're a national person, you will re- remember national writers dunking on Ute fans, joking that BYU won the Pac-12 championship. They will probably, they will remember highlights that they saw of the Algier play against ASU. Mm-hmm. And then nobody else in the country is going to remember a damn thing about last season. Let me, let they're me not going to remember that you lost in a bowl game because they probably no. didn't even watch it either. And they're going to look back and be like, oh man, BYU went 10 and 3 in 2021 after they lost Zach Wilson. Good year. Kalani's a good but, coach. Let, That's let, me, let me tell you what most fans, the casual fan, let me tell you what they're going to remember about BYU in 2021. They're going to remember that Zach Wilson played quarterback for BYU in 2020. Yep. That's what they will remember about BYU in 2021. Period. Like, that's yep. just the way that it is. You know, and it's funny that you bring this up. So they, they, people ask me all the time about, like, recruits. Like, wow, what, you know, BYU loses to USF to open the game. Is that going to, like, impact the recruiting class? No. Most high school football players aren't huge college football fans like they that blows don't have pe- the time too yeah that blows people's minds but they're not like like some are no question that some are speaking of we got to get logan back on the show it's been uh, yes uh but most of them are hanging out with their friends trying to find a girl to go out with on the weekend playing their own football and basketball and track and whatever else it is that they do they don't have time to watch college football like we do they don't. They're just not like huge college football fans. So usually recruits will like remember a season or they'll remember highlight worthy type stuff. But that's about it. Yeah. If you have a losing program, people will remember that you're a losing program. But like nationally speaking, nobody remembers 2017 at all. No, I, I remember 2017. Yeah, we remember. I'm trying to think if, yeah, I don't, speaking, okay, but this is a good dis- question also. So we had this co- also come up in, uh, we had this also come up in the Discord a couple of days ago, weeks ago, or days ago. What, in your opinion, was the worst loss of the 2017 season? Um, well, there's two answers. The worst loss was UMass, like in terms of reputation. That was, you don't lose at home to UMass. But I think the worst loss for my pride was LSU because you don't play a football game as a Division One program and not get past the 50-yard line. So I, um, I think looking back at this, so the UMass game, another game where nobody 
nobody will ever like nobody will ever remember this no because nobody knows that the game even happened because no you're, one is you're... tuning in to watch umass period and no one's watch caring about watching a two and ten or whatever it was byu team at the time you're you're so, thinking wisconsin is where you're going aren't you no i ecu Ooh. ecu was the oh. worst game because because i forgot they played ecu okay so team, hold on let me pull this up um so ECU in, was terrible. ECU's defense. Okay, so wow. I'm looking up, and here I got the 2017 season. And Magum came back, I think, for that no, game, right? No, that's the 2018 season. Yeah. Okay. And so, okay, so if I'm looking at team to do, do, do scoring defense, okay, guess how many points a game? East Carolina, the Carolina. worst team in the country how many points a game they gave up 40 uh close 45 ouch we scored 17 so they played 12 games so actually let's take a look at this we let's see how many points we brought down that average ouch. uh, uh we single-handedly brought down their average from 47 and a half points a game given up down to 45 because we only scored 17 points. You are welcome. You, you are we only gave we only gave up 33 points, which is one of those things where it's like, okay, this is miraculous, but that didn't, was the game. I believe Tanner, didn't Tanner Mangum come back for that game? He came back for that game. Um and it was I, like, oh, the quarterback is finally healthy. We're that gonna, game uh, was win. also I remember uh, happy anniversary to uh, Robbie and Haley McCombs because I watched that. We I watched oh. that game. Uh, we watched it on our phones at their wedding reception and oh. turned it off. So I didn't actually watch most of the game because I was not about to waste my time watching that yeah. crap. Well, that um, game sucked, but nobody watched. Yeah. So I think that was the worst game just because that was like, that, that was the game. And I think that was the um i think that was probably the game where that was the absolute final straw for ty detmer's coaching career in provo and it was um, like yeah it may have been a couple of weeks before that but if there was any like we can turn it around and show some progress and buy one more year before we pull the plug it was absolutely done after yeah. that game. yeah i mean it's hard to argue that was a pretty ugly game so it was a pretty ugly game. I, I still think not crossing the 50 yard line is more embarrassing. And I mean, they're both embarrassing in their own way. Uh, you want to know something that's not weird? BYU has sold out of their comp or their Notre Dame ticket allotment already, which is good. I wonder, I don't know. Well, I guess Notre Dame has technically also sold out of theirs because they didn't even make them available for sale. Okay, hold on. What week was the ECU BYU game? Uh, BYU ECU 2017. Let me see. Or let me look at 2017. It was before UNLV, right? So it was um, where FB schedules, because that will actually have the weeks. So that was, yeah. So it was the week before San Jose State. So actually, after that game, so that game went. Uh, oh gosh, just looking at this makes me want to vomit. Um, so yeah, it was lost to Wisconsin, got 
gave lost put up gave up 40 points in Logan, lost to Boise. Then that was we had to went and got lost 35-10 to Mississippi State and then had to go back to North Carolina seven days later after we just went to Mississippi <sighs> um, and lost 33-17. And then the next Saturday was the San Jose State game. I was trying and, to look uh, up the TV ratings, but they weren't on a cable network that tracks their TV ratings. Uh, oh, no, because it was on CBS Sports. Also, the UMass game was on BYU TV. So yeah, nobody, nobody, cares. nobody, not a soul watched that. Don't even worry. You know, the stu- probably the stupidest thing about the game is how people were like, that was the first road FBS win for UMass ever, which is embarrassing. I'm like, I mean, that doesn't, crap like that doesn't matter. They got to win at some point. Yeah, they, they got to beat somebody. Yeah. Um, so, Notre Dame, are you going? Did you get tickets? I did not get tickets yet. Um, I am. You're going to hope they go down and buy them later. I'm gonna wait before the game, see what they are. I don't. Uh, you're I you're not a I, seat. You're not much of a seat snob, though. Like you'll sit wherever. Well, I will sit whatever. But here's the thing: if you're only getting two tickets, just wait. You only need to buy a bunch of tickets in advance if you have a medium to large group. If you only need two tickets, some old Irish lady from you know some from Southern Indiana is gonna kick the bucket on October second and all 12 of her grandkids that have season tickets are going to need to dump their season, going to dump their tickets because they're not going to Vegas because they got to go to grandma Shirley's funeral. Okay. So like there's going to be stuff happens. Like when you only need onesies or twosies, like waiting until the day of the game is the easiest way to do it. Last year for the USC game, I bought my tickets the day before the game and we sat in the eighth row at the 50 yard line. Well, that's easy to do because only a dozen USC fans go. Yeah, but also, I mean, so the UNLV, it'll be interesting to see how many are made generally available to the public that were not part of either school's allotment because Notre Dame, it did not sell any tickets to this game, like single off tickets. Like, so this game, the Shamrock series is included with their season ticket package. So all of the season tickets have to do it. And if you do not, like they are not making any tickets available to anybody else to buy they they did like a lottery like they had so much demand well yeah so that's i mean they already they have a lottery for season tickets because like you get to renew your same seat every year and then it's like a lottery for a chance to move up or even like you have to pay like 500 dollars a year to enter the lottery to even try to get season tickets so i don't know well i tried to see if i could find a definitive answer of like what percentage of their eighty thousand seat stadium or whatever is season tickets versus because most schools like they leave some room for single game tickets obviously you have the away sections and then whatever but so i didn't ever figure out the answer on that but yeah they are not all everything they gave all of their tickets to season ticket holders there's going to be a lot of people who are like well i want my home ticket so i have to buy this but i don't really want to go to vegas yeah so well i bought i bought tickets we needed four and we got four and we're kind of seat snobs in our, my family. Uh, so we found four on row three in an end zone. I don't like to sit in an end zone, but I just like that stadium. So this is why I'm bringing it up. If you have not been to Vegas on a college football Saturday, you need to. It is the short of going to games, right? So take away being inside a stadium. It's the best environment to watch college football inside a sports book, whether you gamble or not, it's fun to be in a packed house of a sports book 
with a bunch of people who are gambling on a bunch of games. And you could watch, you know, 30 games at the same time on any myriad of screens. You got great food. It's fun. So I love Vegas on a college football Saturday. You don't have to go anywhere. You just sit at the sports book of your choice. There's a, there's a few that are really good. Um, I prefer, as everybody knows, the Venetian because it's comfortable. That's not the most rambunctious one. Uh, this year, I will be probably at the Mandalay Bay most of the time. And that one's far less comfortable, but it's usually pretty packed. It's pretty crowded. Caesars is unbelievable. So watch a game. Even if you're not going to the game, you will have fun going to Vegas and watching this game inside a casino. Second, I loved Allegiant Stadium. Loved it. It was clean. It was kind of like a luxury stadium, I thought. It was weird because it was clean and it was a luxury stadium, but then uh, like the seats themselves, like it kind of felt cheap. Like it was weird, this weird balance of like, this is super nice and this is super new and all the sight lines are awesome and then whatever. But then at the same time, it was like, this is still just like, it's a stadium seating. Like there's nothing fancy yeah. about this. It was kind of this weird vibe. of it, it, It's true. And it was like this weird, I don't know. I, I It felt like I was watching in a really nice college football stadium. Like I, I remember watching game, you know, when BYU played Arizona in Phoenix, right? Like that's an NFL stadium. And it felt like a college football game inside an NFL stadium. I don't know what it is about Allegiant, but it feels like a really super nice college football stadium. And I, I like that. I don't know if it's what you're talking about, right? Like the cheaper feeling seats. I don't know if it's that it's not. I don't, I have no idea what it is, but I loved it. And so I want to go back. So it happens that BYU and Notre Dame are playing, but that stadium's worth going to, folks. Go watch a college football game inside that stadium. Deal. So there's that. That's my pitch. I do actually have uh, I have tickets to another game that night already that I will have to have Ooh. to give to someone if I go. I do have where, tickets. Where were you going? Uh, well, I'm not necessarily going, but I I am a season ticket holder now for the Arizona Wildcats because mm. guess how much you can buy season tickets for for seven games? They have seven home games this year. Oh, three hundred bucks. Seventy dollars. <laughs> And kids under 12 are half off. So I bought my family of four, four season tickets for $220, oh, including the service fees. That's power five football, baby. So, and their home schedule is North Dakota State. No idea why anyone ever schedules them. Mississippi State, Oregon, USC, ASU, Colorado, and Wazoo. Hmm. So I only cared about the Oregon. I was like, well, depending on what time the Oregon game is, like to go see ASU, like the rivalry game would be fun. Like to go see USC, Mississippi State would be fun. You know, go see Leach down there. It's like, oh, well, now I'm already looking at that. Oh, so I was just like looking on website. I was like, oh, uh, these are only 70 bucks and my kids are half off. So 10 bucks a game. Hey, honey, we're season takeover holders now. Good grief. What a joke. Although, I mean, I'll mock Arizona, but I do want them to join the Big 12 Conference. I do. I want them to join so badly. If- I want them to join so badly. I don't even care about ASU. I want U of A because my I, brother look, went to you. My in-laws all went to U of A. My brother one. went there before he transferred on his mission. And I want to be able to go to BYU games every year. I don't even and- care. I don't care what school it is. I want one of the Pac-12 schools that are left to be like, I'm going to do it. We're going to leave. Because then that just sends everything else into absolute obscurity. 
One. That's all it takes is one courageous little school like Arizona to say, hey, guys, it's been fun. Good luck. We're going to go to these teams in Texas that actually care about attending games and, you know, being fans. We're going to go align ourselves with them, play some dope basketball. Best of luck to you, everybody else, and and be on their way. I want it. I want it so bad because the Pac-12 could conceivably today add San Diego State, Fresno State, and it's nowhere near what they were. They're not USC and UCLA, but it's a salvageable conference. They can't add three. If you add, like, where are you going after San Diego State and Fresno, right? Like, you are either going into Texas and trying to get SMU. You are going to sacrifice everything you've ever thought you believed about academics and go to Boise. You are going to finally gamble on the Vegas market and think that UNLV shakes 75 years of suck and turns into something. Like, Fresno State and San Diego State, respectable enough programs that that the Pac-12 could make that work. Right. But it's that third one. There's nobody else. Yeah, I don't um, – yeah, the third one, it doesn't – there is no one to make it work. They're stuck by geography. If, you know, they obviously fall down and they're, the image of them was pretty bad – um, nationally, despite what all of your Ute Bank coworkers tell you, um, everyone, like you go look on Reddit CFB or look on any national discussion around college football and the pack is like a laughing stock. Wait, 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 wait. Like, it, even compared to the ACC, people would talk about how bad the ACC is, it, but then in the same breath be like, well, uh, yeah, but the, I mean, you, not you've the got to, you've got to, yes, ignore your, your Utah friend at the office, but also look at the journalist right that's the other thing if they are covering the pac-12 look john wilner is he's done a great job i think he's a great journalist that byu fans don't like him but he's a great journalist he scooped himself out of a job with this usc and ucla news like if the pac-12 dissolves he's a beat writer covering san jose state like nobody's gonna care john canzano is the oregon guy he covers the Pac-12, right? So, of course, even like Stuart Mandel, who is a national guy, but he's the West Coast national guy of the athletic. I think he was one of the founders of the athletic, so I'm sure he'll be fine. Right. But, like, he's a West Coast guy. So, you've got to look at the college football conversations that aren't being led by people who have a direct benefit of covering the Pac-12. Because, yeah. of course, with the exception of Jason Shear and just like the most shocking development of all developments, of course, Pac-12 and Pac-12 school writers are going to defend the Pac-12. Jason Shear's got scorched earth. He's all on board with Arizona going to the Big 12. So that's been fun. Well, and he's just on board because he he's calling out the non-football things. And these are things that I don't know. Are Do you listen to Split Zone Duo? Uh, like, I have. I don't listen to it routinely. So it's kind of like the spiritual stepchild of podcasting, play nobody. Um, but so they actually, which I highly recommend subscribing to their Patreon. So that way you can get the, they have a private like podcast feed for paid subscribers. And they 
Um, they started a new series where they are doing like scripted multi-episode deep dives into mm. like historical programs. So the first one that they're doing is they're doing like a four episode dive into what the hell happened with Tulane and why they left the SEC and how they ended up going from winning Sugar Bowls and winning the SEC to where they're at now. Um, but they, so they, even them talking about like, well, something interesting they brought up, especially like in recruiting is where they get a lot more into like the, how would you like say, like the sociology of football of like high participation rates in high school football in yeah, California are way deal. down. Like there are high schools in LA where two schools have to combine together to form a football team because they can't get enough kids out in freaking LA to come play high school football. Like in the Bay area, it's shrinking. Like people, kids are playing other sports. They care more about like swimming and soccer and they're doing other sports and they're not playing as much. There's, the cost of living going through the roof in all of the major metro areas on the west coast people are abandoning them and moving to phoenix and vegas especially and then also you know going further and like even more and more migration into texas and from the same from like you know in the northeast like the more expensive cities in the northeast like town like going down to florida like everything football was already king in the south or the south was already king of football rather um, but, and it is, there is an actual like tangible migration that direction. And so you with population shifting. And so it is, there is nothing long-term pointing to anything good for the pack and especially being stuck next to the ocean, like where the big 12 is sitting at, they can pull T people from the pack. If the big 10 blew up, they, the big 12 could easily go grab Purdue and Indiana. If they wanted to go all in on basketball and do that, like they could, pull teams from the ACC, like the big 12 could pull literally geographically, they could pull teams from any conference in America and be fine with travel because of like, you look at the, like the old, the big eight schools, right? Like that are the leftover eight schools. They're basically in a straight line up on top of each other in the central time mm -hmm. zone. So it's like, if you add two to the left, two to the right, you can split cleanly into making travel easy for your non-football revenue sports. Like in it's like it is in such a flexible position that, and then obviously within the ACC, it's like they have the entire American and Sunbelt sitting in their footprint, right? Like it is, there is nothing going, like look at a map where people are moving. There is nothing going for the Pac-12 in that regard. And that is what, you know, kind of that is what Sheer is kind of harping on of like, look, this is dying. We got, if we want to be successful and be the future, we need to look the other way. And it may take 10 years. It may take 15 years, but he's like, if we would rather take the risk because it's more likely 15 years from now that the pack is dead and the big 12 is still standing. And we want to be in there before we get left behind and end up being like SMU or Rice that got left out when the Southwest conference died. Or, I mean, even then he's like, why would you want to stay in a conference when Washington and Oregon were like, openly begging for the big 10 to take them like half your teams are begging for some like the top end of your league is begging for them for someone to take them and right. honestly that's i don't know what is film what is the Oregon going to be when phil knight dies i wrote about that earlier this week like yeah, i I, I honestly i'm not convinced that Oregon is going to be sustained as this blue blood once phil goes away unless he leaves like legitimately leaves like a 20 billion dollar endowment earmarked specifically for the athletic department that is going to be generating 200 million dollars a year in uh, in in an annuity from that right annuity, which may, he I, may do yeah uh, and, and money, i don't know what he wants i don't know the answer to that either and, and washington is 
I, I don't understand. I don't understand the Washington hyper brand. Like I really don't. Uh, Washington to me is BYU. Like that's really what I see. That yeah, they had a little bit of a run in the eighties, had some good teams in the nineties, and then they they have peaks. They have pretty high peaks, but largely they're okay. And so I I struggle understanding the brand that is Washington and why everybody talks about Washington being great. Like they had that, you know, little spurt with Jake Browning, who we, we've now talked about Jake Browning twice on this show, yeah. uh, but they, they had this little run with Jake Browning and Pete, but other than that, and, and they got to the playoff, I got obliterated. But other than that, they really haven't done that much nationally. You know, like, are they really that different than BYU other than having P5 access? Are they really that different than what BYU has been over the last 30 years? And are they really like if I feel like very easily and that Washington could just very easily slip into becoming like a not as bad as Cal or Stanford in terms yeah. of fan support, but but kind of don't. I don't feel like being located in a city where that whole Chaz thing happened that those people <laughs> care much about football. So like, here, here, okay. 19, <laughs> I need you to pull up sports reference and, and look at BYU's record by year. This is how we're going to close the show. Okay. So you pull up BYU's record by year and we're going to go side by side from 19... 80 on and i'm going to read the washington records and you are going to read the byu records and okay. i think by the end of this we're all going to generally agree these two programs aren't that far off yeah okay you there yeah so 1980 okay, uh, nice washington one. washington went nine and three okay we'll just go in number of wins right so that's whatever okay, okay. so 12 Okay, 81, 10. 11. 10. 8. 8. 11. 11. 13 and 0, baby. And Washington tries to claim that going 11 and 2, they share that title. 7. 11. 8. 8. 7. 9. 6. 9. 8. 10. 10. 10. 12. 8. That's Washington's national championship year, I think. Nine, eight, seven, six, seven, ten, seven, seven, nine, fourteen, eight, six, six, nine, seven, eight, eleven, six, eight, twelve, seven, five, six, four, one, five. Two. Ooh, they only won one game in 2004. 2004, they were one. So they won 10. one game, and then in 2008, they had the 0 and 12 season with Jake Blocker. Yeah, it gets worse. Yeah. So yeah. one in 2004 is where I'm at. Okay. And six in 2005. Two. Okay. And then five. you go first. Sorry. Two in 2005. Okay. Six. Five. 11. Four. 11. Zero. 10. Five. 11, 7, 7, 7, 10, 7, 8, 9, 8, 8, 8, 
Seven. Nine. Okay, here's Pete and Jake Browning. Twelve. Nine. Ten. Four. Ten. Seven. Eight. Seven. Three. Eleven. Four. Ten. That's 45 years of football. I don't get it. Why do we act like Washington is anything? Yeah, so let me hold on, let me grab one second and look this up. So I actually with same thing with Oregon. So I didn't when I wrote about this the other day, is so Oregon's first, very, very first 10 win season was in was that like Joey Harrington? Yes, it was in the year of our Lord 2000. Oregon did not have a ranked finish until 1994, which was the same year that Utah finished ranked for the first time. Yeah, like I don't... Like now Oregon has finished ranked 12 times since 2000, which is like other than Oklahoma and Alabama, that's like they're basically, they're like in the top five since 2000 in terms of most consistent, but it's like until Nike, like Oregon was nothing until Nike showed up. Yeah. And if the Nike goes away... And it honestly, that's what I say. Like, I don't think it matters when people are like, we got to get Oregon and Washington. We got to get Oregon and Washington. It's like, I don't think it matters because if the Nike goes away, I mean, obviously I think Oregon, like Phil Knight has enough money that legitimately if he left like a $20 billion endowment specifically for the athletic department that was paying them money every year, they could do whatever they wanted to. Right? Yeah, like, for sure. But if he doesn't do that and handful of teams leave for the big 12 or whatever other league, and Oregon gets left out, and they're in some league that is a cobbled together half the pack, half the Mountain West, they will die. Like Oregon will cease to be the Oregon that we think of today. Because if you talk to your dad about what he thinks about Oregon football, he thinks something very different than what you or I think. Because you mm-hmm. and I grew up with the Jeff Ted, like Jeff Tedford and on Oregon. Yep. Yep. And with Joey Harrington, and we and they think of like, oh, they won like eight games once and i think they went to a rose bowl in the 60s all right like they oh i lied they were ranked once in the 40s uh, but yeah the <laughs> only modern post-war like they, it's just yeah, they don't have a real like i don't know they don't have a um since uh, like the a, year a real history since the year i mean I'm, I'm still stuck on washington since the year 2001 that's 20 years. That's why I'm picking 2001. That is 20 okay. years of football. Arizona State has as many 10-win seasons as Washington does. Like, I don't get it. And I, I get it. Seattle, whatever. All due respect to my guy, Robbie. Uh, even the NBA decided that they were too good for Seattle. <laughs> Dude, that will People will fight you. I get it. I get it. But even they were like, you know, TV markets, big, whatever Seattle aside. Like, no, this ain't it. We're moving to Oklahoma. They left the Pac-12. The NBA left the Pac-12 to join the Big 12. And you can't tell me that I'm wrong because I'm right. Gosh, that actually is very funny. Um, So let me look since when... Uh, let's see. So we want since uh, you said 2001 is yeah, when you, how 20, far back you looked. 20 years of football. Okay. So let's see. 20 years of football. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see. 
and Washington has more zero win seasons than Arizona, Arizona State, and Colorado combined. Oh gosh. That is okay. You know, we were gonna make this okay. a quick show, but we, we were gonna that never happens. My I just tried to tell my <laughs> wife that she didn't believe me. Okay, so since <laughs> okay, so let's look at oh to do, do, do 10 win seasons. Holy shiz, how far do I have to go down to find Washington? Why are they even at on this thing? Um how many did you say they've had since then? Three. Oh, oh, that's why they uh, did. They've had three. Okay, so that is uh, yeah, we're way down the list with three ten-win seasons in the last twenty years. So teams, there are fifty teams with at least. Um, oh, let's see. They. Um, there are a lot of. see um there are a quite a bit of teams that have had 10 win seasons uh, i think i've got oh huh that's fun news to me i did not realize that uh my scripts that i have that pull everything and grab all my data i've got fcs data now in there too so we're gonna there's some fcs teams i have one more so teams that have one had more 10 win seasons since 2001 or later than washington Air Force, Navy, Miami, Kennesaw State, which started as an FCS program and started like six, seven years ago. They've had four. Tennessee, Utah State, Washington State, Kansas State, Houston, App State, Tulsa, Nebraska, Missouri, Louisville, Hawaii, Fresno State, West Virginia, San Diego State, Marshall, Auburn, Baylor, Penn State, Northern Illinois, Stanford, Iowa, Oklahoma State, Michigan State, UCF, Florida State, Utah, and BYU have both had eight. Michigan, Cincinnati, Florida also had eight. Notre Dame has had nine. Texas, Wisconsin, Virginia Tech had 10. Clemson, Oregon, LSU, TCU, USC all have had 11. Georgia, 14. Boise State, 15. Alabama, 16. Oklahoma and Ohio State, 17. There are legitimately, okay, there are 47 FBS programs out of 133 that have had more 10-win seasons in the last 20 years than the Washington Huskies, including their rival, Washington State Cougars. <laughs> That's funny. I, I just don't get it. I don't get why we act like Washington is like the pinnacle of what's left. I mean, quite candidly, I think that Utah is, I mean, Utah's a better program, but I think that Utah is maybe even a better athletic department as a whole. Like Washington hasn't done anything with basketball either. At least Utah has blips. You know, Utah had, like Utah's been booty flakes the last couple of years but like they were pretty good with delon Wright. they went to a sweet 16 like washington's had a couple of runs with isaiah thomas and you know so they've had some teams but i don't think it's that far different than what utah's had um at least utah has gymnastics like i don't know what washington has that is like a superpower yeah so the only three the that 2016 when they went to the playoff and then 2017 and 2018 those were the only three 10 win seasons that they had yeah. were all under Chris Peterson. So you had it took getting one of the top five coaches in FBS history to be your coach to get a 10 win season. And a and legitimate all time winningest quarterback. Yes. And then even then his last year he went eight and five and retired. Right. Like and then the I next guy went it. three and one in the COVID season. 
and then went four and eight and got canned I mean, for punching a player. Garrett, they in went, his second year, they only went to two bowls with a first round draft pick and Jake Locker at quarterback. They won zero games with a first round pick at quarterback. Now, granted, he was young. Like he only played, I guess, four games that year, so it wasn't like he was the guy. But in four games, the first-round quarterback couldn't figure out how to beat the superpowers that were Cal. (laughs) I don't understand. Why do we treat Washington as if they were great? Yeah, and it's the – I think it's because people like talking about the brand. Like, well, they get, like, viewership. And a lot of it is because that's – because they get time slots. I am ready well, to, if I have any brains at all in time, I am, I've looked at enough TV ratings over the last few weeks. So just like looking at individual game ratings, I think I'm ready to say there are five brands in college football that command ratings. Everything else is driven by the channel and the time slot. Ohio State will pull numbers no matter when or who or where they're playing on. Same with Michigan, same with Notre Dame. Like there's there's five or six schools that are in that category. Yeah. Everybody else? No. Like BYU and USC, right? USC is getting, you know, Big Ten is being lauded for adding USC, UCLA, the huge whatever market. The BYU-UCLA game or the BYU-USC game last year, its ratings, uh, now I got to pull it up again because I want to be factual, but USC in this mega market, and it was a game that was on ESPN. Um, it pulled, hold on, hold on. It pulled 1.4 million viewers. It so, was an okay game, and that was a top, what, were, what was BYU ranked at that point? Top 15? Yeah. Top 15 BYU team and USC in the heart of the biggest market in the world. 1.4 million viewers sandwiched right in between Colorado and Utah and Oregon and Oregon State. So the the thing with the time slots, and I feel like because of the geography, the pack is the hardest thing to determine, right? Is like you cannot look at just the raw numbers because like when Washington is playing in a conference game, they are never, ever, ever, ever going to be going head to head with Alabama or Ohio State or Oklahoma or Texas or Notre Dame. They will never be going head to head in one of those games in a conference game, right? And so when you are the pack and you're, it is clear for the pack that your four biggest brands are USC, UCLA, Washington, and Oregon, when your people are deciding, you know, like you said, it's driven by channel, like which channel are you going to put the game on? They put Washington and USC and Oregon on ESPN. And then, you know, Colorado and Arizona gets relegated to the Pac-12 network. Well, it's like, well, no duh that there's numbers are lower. So it's, you have to like, to compare apples to apples, like you can't just compare like numbers of viewership. You have to go through, figure out what channel it was on and not only what channel it was on, but like the time slot that it was in and who else was playing in that time slot. And you got to go through all of that. And if you did that, then you could, I mean, you could mathematically like 
do a regression model and say like, oh, here's the five brands that actually have some weight to pushing things. Um, you're muted. Washington's not one of those brands. You know, they're not one like, of Like they're brands. just not like, cause I'm looking and, and you're right. We're not comparing apples to apples, but 7 p.m. Eastern. So this is, these are all Eastern times, right? So uh, 5 p.m. Mountain kickoff, 7 p.m. Eastern kickoff on FS1 last year. Arizona State, Washington, 538,000 viewers. Like, that's terrible, right? I mean, that's nothing. Um, I've got to find, like, a lot of the time. Are like, sports media watch, or what are you? Yeah, yeah. And a lot of the, the Washington games last year, because they weren't very good, got relegated to the Pac-12 network. Okay, week nine, Washington and Stanford. Now, it's the late game. So there, there was no competition, but it is the late game. Uh, the 10.30 kickoff on FS1, Washington versus Stanford, 402,000 viewers. Wolf. Like, barf. Like, BYU so, and Utah State on CBS Sports gets more than that. And I'm trying to see in week what, 12, did they even play to have a buy? I can't even they, find them on this list. Yeah, they were on Pac-12 Network, so it didn't get counted. But oh. uh, week, week 8, Washington and Arizona on ESPN2, at eight, the, the, the late kickoff, the 10:30 kickoff, 660,000. That's their highest viewed game so far. So 660,000. Here's an issue. So, looking at that ASU Washington game from week 11, or right, so 538,000, they was at 7 p.m. on FS1 versus UNC Pitt was on ESPN at 1.2 million. Since, oh, that was on, uh, oh no, so I lied. That was on Thursday. These things are kind of confusing how they have. They're they're hard to yeah they hard. So, okay, here's actually oh no that was also that was Wednesday. They don't have these in oh they're ordered by viewers not ordered by, by viewers per week yeah so I mean that's why I say like if you just look at raw viewers it's still not impressive and it no. gets even less impressive when you look at they had relatively little well, competition. Yeah, and I mean I guess it, part of this is because uh, when you talk about brands of the needle it's like on ESPNU at the same time. Kansas was playing Texas and had 50,000 fewer people watching was all right. Yeah, UCLA, UCLA and Washington played oh, Saturday the, on October 16th on Fox, big Fox. This was the primetime Fox kickoff 1.5 million viewers. So the, they were going up against that ASU game was going up against Texas A&M playing Ole Miss. And that was 3.5 million and Notre Dame playing Virginia was 3.2 million. Ain't nobody and caring. And TCU and Oklahoma were about at same about at that same time. Oh, TCU Oklahoma before. State, yes, on Fox started an hour after and they were at 1.3 million. And, and so like it, that's what I, I I just don't understand the whole Washington thing. Like it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense. Nobody can make this make sense. Now, Oregon, if you go and look at Oregon, Oregon pulls numbers. Just about every week, they're, they're, they're pulling numbers. And they get put on ESPN most of the time, or ABC, or Fox. But they pull pretty consistent numbers pretty much every week. Washington gets relegated to the Pac-12 network all the time because even the Pac-12 doesn't want Washington to fill their time slots. And so I just don't get it like nobody talks about BYU as being a huge TV market but when they were on 
the 10-15 kickoff with Arizona State on ESPN, not Big Fox, they had one and a half million viewers. It, it just doesn't add up. Why yeah. do we treat Washington like they're worth anything? They are carried so much by their week two game against Michigan on ABC. And this, I think, goes to show kind of my point. Washington, 8 p.m. kickoff on ABC against Michigan, pulled 4.7 million viewers. That's a great game. But that was against Michigan. Michigan pulls numbers all the time. Every other game that Washington played, are they had one game of one and a half some odd million viewers. Everything else was just yeah. bad. So why, why, why do we care? Why do we care about Washington? This is why the Big 12, or excuse me, the Big 10 doesn't care about Washington. Because they are smart enough to look at these numbers and go, I don't care what John Wilner says. Washington isn't worth it. You know, and what I am annoyed by these, uh, all of these numbers is that Sports Media Watch, they made these pictures, so I can't just copy them to actually yeah. go do this. They were smarter than me. Or yeah. They were smarter because they knew that people would be like me. So we're going to have sometime. Okay. In the next week, we will crowdsource this with everybody. Everyone will pick a week and we will go through it. And listen, they, I, they got numbers back to 2012, buddy. We're going to go I, figure this out. I have time. I can do this because okay. I have taken the next week off of work. Okay. Then yes, so, we need to, We need I'm the date, the time slot, what week of the season it was, yeah, team one, team two how many viewers they were and the I got you. we're going to go through all of this and we will have the hard hitting numbers next week for all of you because yes. yeah this some of this is ridiculous like even i mean even if you're talking about the pack as a whole okay right the friday night okay the number of viewers for the pack 12 championship game okay it was like which i've seen different numbers pushed around so i don't know where sports media watch like gets theirs versus other things but like they got like the pac 12 got the like the ratings that cincinnati and houston in the american conference championship was going head to head at the same exact time slot with the sec championship between georgia and alabama and pulled the same numbers that the pack did playing in prime time on friday night when nobody else was playing yep it like it just it doesn't make sense doesn't make any sense i'm gonna do this because that's my hypothesis and if i'm wrong i'm happy to be proven wrong with data but i've looked at a lot and that's what's jumped out to me the most so far uh, well okay well they, actually if we go back to uh 2012 they got when you click the 2012 link they're not pictures uh 2013 yeah. not pictures so i think it, it, i think you can go all the way to like 2018 so we'll get we'll get this we'll get what we need you don't have to listen to us pull data in real time anymore Maybe, we will wrap maybe. up this show, but next week we are, it's going to be like a fall camp preview episode. And also we're going to dig deep into some TV ratings because that's TV ratings are what matter. Yeah. That's all that matters. It's all I've been told matters. Well, can we end with the, uh, just, I want to end sharing uh, a verse, if you will. Um, ah. So if you come and join us on our Discord, it really is, I think, it is the single best place to get your BYU news and things and, and chat with your fellow BYU chums of, you know, we've got, it's not just me, it's not just you. We got Mitch Harper is on there. 
Robbie McCombs is on there dropping basketball knowledge. Casey Lundquist is on there, you know, from uh, Cougs Daily over in Sports Illustrated. Like we have collected the best of the best and I'm writing all of your coattails. But we have a channel dedicated to the stupid ass things that Utah fans say on social media. And this one, I will not say where it is from uh, or who said it, what username it was that said, I think this won't end until August. My guess is that the pack will take it to the open market and some combination of CBS, NBC, ESPN, and a streamer will get the pack. Note, Fox is not included in this because Fox already said we're not interested. Back to the quote. The pack about 40 to 45 million per school with escalating money from there. Four to six big 12 teams will then make the jump when they will make more money in the pack than the watered down big 12. Cincinnati, Houston, UCF, and West Virginia will all leave to join slash rejoin the American. BYU and TCU will rejoin the Mountain West together, and BYU will never play a down in the Big 12, all before next season kicks. That is my prediction. Now, I never, ever, ever want to hear that BYU fans are delusional, that they make stuff up, that they are so out of touch with whatever, like, I don't even understand how this is a legitimate thought that somebody put down, wrote it, and looked at it and said, hmm, yeah, I think that sounds good. And it's got 19 other upvotes from people who agreed with them. Yeah, I'm with you. I... Like how, one, if the Big 12 is so watered down, how is four to six teams going to make you better? And also, where are you getting 40 to 45 million from? Like, navigate already, like, the, the who's who of, like, sports, like, business analysis already said the pack in the big 12 were going to be sixes and that was before usc and ucla left so i don't i i just truly do not understand their the bubble that they live in and sometimes i kind of wish it would be nice to be that naive i do too i really do because i don't get it some of the things i've seen i don't i just don't understand I do not understand it, Jeff. It has been a much longer and more fun episode than I originally anticipated. Uh, we'll get this thrown up. If you are up late, you will get a late night surprise in your podcast feed. And until next time, give them hell. Give them hell.